This edition of Gareth Jones on Speed will also be made available as an image-enhanced episode. To download that version, check www.garethjones.tv or the iTunes store sometime during the first week in December. Bernie Eccleston, thank you for talking to Gareth Jones on Speed. Oh, you're welcome, darling. But make it quick, the clock's ticking. Well, I was hoping you could run through your vision of F1 over the next few years. Well, uh, apart from reducing the power of the cars, we're introducing standard components and chassis. And we're reducing the car's reliance on aerodynamics to give us a bit more, you know, overtaking. And as of next year, slick tyres are back. Is that the complete package? Well, there is, of course, my plan to follow the cash with more Grand Prix in new markets in the East. And I'll introduce a medal system for the three highest-placed finishers. Ah, to help overtaking. Now, it's just that as Max has ripped off most of the new F1 ideas from A1GP, I thought I should too. Now, clear off with your podcast. I've got money to earn. This is all clones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. And in the grand tradition of a television programme I presented for 16 years, we're going to play Show and Tell. Because How To is very much a show and tell show where you sort of turn up and show people something and tell them about it. So we're going to play Show and Tell with my usual co-host of the show, Zog. Say hello, Zog. Hello there. And Richard Porter. Say hello, Richard Porter. Hello. I'm going to find out, Richard, what it is you've got to show and tell. Can you give us some sort of cryptic clue as to what it is without telling us too much first? Like a mine or something? Yeah. It's audio, isn't it? This is not that Unistubs show. It's something that I've made of sorts uh-huh. and it took me a long time to make it oh. I almost went mad doing it that's intriguing that's coming in part three of Gareth Jones on Speed today but for now part one Zog what have you brought for us to see today I think you're going to like this I, I really think you will when I saw this the other day this just blew me away because I think you know we've all followed uh, with a certain amount of interest the various attempts that people have made to come up with a flying car you know, oh, that's, yeah. that, 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 that's yeah. one of the great technological dreams mm. I think, of the yeah. uh, late 20th century a flying car yeah. and you know people have come up with uh, one or two semi-practical things but nothing that's really taken off as it were you know oh. nothing that's really you know cheap enough easy enough reliable enough you know but a British guy has cracked it it's one of those beautiful sort of bits of approaching the problem from a slightly different angle rather than do what uh, one company has been trying to do and cram is it eight little turbo fans into a, yeah. a Ferrari 599 yes. yeah yeah well, it's not Insane. a Ferrari 599, it's just a replica of it, and he's about to get sued to soldery, I would imagine. <laughs> but... Yeah, it's, and, 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 it, and it would cost half a million if he ever builds it, which he yes. clearly won't. The, the, the Moller Sky Car, which has been... Been, well, actually, working, been working on. been done in association with, uh, with, with Dr. Moller, Mr. Moller. I think, is he a doctor? Uh, I don't know, but he has spent about uh, $100 years. million dollars on yeah. Yeah, 40, 40 years trying to make a flying car, and he's come up with, you know, with things that do fly, mm, and, but, yeah. but, but nothing that's going to production people are using. Anyway, what's, what's the solution? Yeah. Here's the solution. A British paramotor manufacturer realised that the lift that you get off these big paragliders now is sufficient that you can just stick a car under it. And so what he's done is uh, he's basically slung a dune buggy underneath a paraglider sail and 
voila, you've got a flying car. So it's, a it's non- cheap. You know, 100000 or so is what it's cost them to develop so far. Mm. And in January next year, they're going to fly from London to Timbuktu. Wow. Oh, hang on a minute. And here is a picture how, of it. How, how, do you, how do you control it? you got a picture of it. Oh, great. Uh, look at this. So it's a non-rigid inflatable sail. Yeah, if we can just uh, describe... The, is that real? Because he's flying past the gherkin in I, central London. I think we can safely assume we should just describe... That's a what we, we should just de- that, <laughs> that is Photoshop. The gherkin is definitely Photoshopped in there. I think we can safely say that. But what's in front of it is real, and it does fly, and it, it's working. But and wait, we, we, wait, should wait, to, we, we should talk about this. This is one of those big directional parachutes, if you like. The wing parachutes that you can kind of... Um, steer. Uh, steer. Yeah. And if you sling yourself under this thing, and you strap a motor to your back... You can fly. Mm. Yeah. And this is exactly that thing, except that instead of just strapping a motor to your back, you're sort of strapping yourself into a dune buggy with a motor that blows out the back and pushes you along. Uh, and the sail, in sort of kite, parachute fashion, enables you to fly. It's simple. It's cheap. It works. One I the, think it's brilliant. One of the great problems with sky cars, and they've been trying to make flying cars since the 1950s, I know there were a number of relatively successful American designs, was that you, you'd have a car which you then drive into a hangar and plug on a huge pair of wings, and they'd yeah. have to be really mm. huge to create enough lift to lift the to mass lift a heavy of car. the car. Yeah. Here, they've solved the problem by, first of all, choosing a really lightweight car. Like you said, exactly. it's a kind of a yep. dune or beach buggy or kind of an off-road buggy, a Baja buggy, perhaps you might even say. Yeah. But, and, and the wing, being non-rigid, first of all, is about a third very, of the very weight. Light. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and here's the bonus. You don't need a hanger to keep it in. I bet that will fold up and fit in the back of even that tiny dune buggy. Yeah, Possibly quite, quite while you're flying. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, d- I, that, that doesn't. Look you, you don't look like you're too keen to step into that particular. I'd do it. I'd give it, give it a go. Yeah. I'd do it. All right. Well, I'll, I'll wave to you. <laughs> on the way down no, I'd love to have a go in that kind of thing but I'd just like to see it not photoshopped onto the skyline of London that's not reassuring no. it's no, not. It's, and it's I, British that's the amazing thing is that it's British it's yeah. a bit too bonkers to be British isn't it I don't know I think it's one of those you know sort of uh, I think it's one of those wonderful sort of British heritage of, of bonkers engineering I mean, absolutely you know, let's be honest the and bon- bonkers engineering uh, that works Christopher you know, Cockrell I mean, Wallace it's, and, it's uh, fairly bonkers the hovercraft is a great example of British engineering because ultimately it's sort of Brilliant, but but quite silly. But quite silly. That's yeah, exactly silly. it. It's yeah, quite course. silly, yeah. and I like that. That's yeah. good. I mean, you know, I suppose in a way, Frank Whittle. And I went, what? You're going to get rid of the crazy. propeller? Yeah, no, just look- ignite fuel into. A- what are you talking about, you <laughs> mentalist? And then he uh, obviously yeah, revolutionised. Um- and, uh, the well, world. and and sort of and uh, well, we we I mean Britain to some extent lost a lead in sort of jet engine technology because we didn't believe in it enough, really. Isn't exactly. It? Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you know the name of the company who are making that sort of thing? Uh, Paraget I, I, Sky I enjoy Car. silly. Paraget however, I don't enjoy silly when I'm suspended uh, a thousand feet over central London. <laughs> uh, let, let me give you some uh, some some little facts. Wow, this here. engineering to... is really silly. Look, Whoa! they're plummeting towards the O. Takeoff speed sixty kilometers per hour. Uh, right. Top speed of one hundred and ten kilometers per hour. Yeah. That'll be in the air. Um, range altitude? of 300 kilometres Read uh, that next bit Maximum altitude 15,000 feet 15,000 feet? You wouldn't need breathing gear at that altitude You'd be very cold You'd need a good heater in your car good. Well it hasn't got a heater It's a bl- 
Ooh. rage buggy or something. <laughs> you don't you need a really, a... really big puffer jacket. Yeah, you know, it, is, it, it would be certainly cold up there. Uh, cruising altitude, two to three thousand feet, though. Uh, yeah, and then when you're driving, it's uh, independent. So is this like it's a rear-wheel drive. Zero to sixty in four point five seconds. Yeah, it's. Uh, I believe it's got a continuously variable transmission and a Yamaha motorcycle engine. I think. Um, Keep it light. On the road, it looks like a dune buggy with a big propeller stuck on the back which actually is going back to one or two really early car yes, designs yeah, the the aero aero car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah the aero yeah. car what was it called I saw it recently I was in uh, Bewley and uh, they've got one there and uh, even my boys were impressed with that one yeah mm. it's ace uh, yeah. It's, uh, it only died off because of the Euro Uncut pedestrian regulation thank you very much indeed. but you're sceptical Richard about the practicality of this thing we will find out in January because they're going to fly this thing all the way to Timbuktu from London they're starting so, from London starting from London right. yeah, they're, let's they're find out when and we'll go there we, yeah yeah, let's, let's do that. Let's okay. tell, you what, I tell you what, if they're flying from London, they're flying from the city, right? We're going to find about it pretty soon. If that if that's if that sail loses structural integrity, if it invaginates, if it loses some of its it, air it inside, was. invaginates, turns inside out. No, it turns inside out. Invaginate turns inside out. That's where the word vagina comes from. Okay, that's yeah. If that sail invaginates... We were prepared to just let that be remain unsaid, <laughs> but you had to go and say it. We're going to get a dune buggy through the roof of this house in North London, so we will be the first to know about it, and you'll be the first to hear about it. Car of the Year. The Oscars. BBC Sports Personality of the Year. McDonald's Employee of the Month. Now, get ready for the big one. The big one. The Gareth Jones on Speed Awards 2008. The only podcast-based motoring awards where not only do you pick the winners, but you choose the category too. So, got any suggestions? Cigarette lighter of the year. Motorsport disappointment of the year. Best use of the colour yellow in an interior trim. Send your nominations and category suggestions to awards at garethjones.tv. The Gareth Jones on Speed Awards 2008. Gareth Jones on Speed, more innovative than the Shanghai Automotive Corporation and a lot less Chinese. We're playing show and tell on Gareth Jones on Speed today. We've heard about Zog's flying car. Now it's Richard's turn to show and tell. Richard, what is it that, what did you say, took you ages to do and caused you some pain or something? Well, yeah, uh, it's called... The Big Book of Top Gear. Ah, yes. It's a book about Top Gear. Which you wrote, but you're not credited for. I'm not, although if you go on Amazon, I am credited for, due Ah. to uh, uh, presumably an administrative error on the part of the publishers. They've accidentally given away the fact that I wrote it, which which is nice. Basically, it's like an annual, but it's... uh, It's page after page of Top Gear goodness, basically. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to put that on the cover of the the reprint. I tell you uh, what, it's not what you might expect, because I saw this, we're looking at copies now, but I saw this when I was around Richards the other week. Do you know what it reminds me of? The Monty Python Papa Bock. From that's the nicest thing you could possibly say uh, about because that's that's what I was trying to it's do in a ace. sort of shabby Top Gear way. But I don't I, think I, this is a cash in. In the layout, I, too, I think this takes you thinking, somewhere. Yeah, this book, I really mean that, Richard. I think it takes you somewhere beyond Top Gear. It, it well, adds, if enough people adds buy value. It, it'll take me to the Bahamas. But that's there you go. <laughs> you're not on a residual deal. You want to buy out, or you want a residual deal? Are you are you <laughs> get a residual deal. You get a deal. <laughs> you really is excellent. Go on, go on. Listen, make this boy wealthy. Buy loads of copies. No, it really, it really is won't. good. It won't. I, I heard. Uh, do you know the uh, comedian uh, Stuart Lee who wrote or co-wrote Jerry Springer the Opera and. 
and um, what well, the comedian yeah. Stuart Lee who lives just on that road about 100 yards up there does he yeah, that yeah. Was yeah. The last I, cra- I crashed into him once what literally <laughs> yeah in my lunch here yeah you? yeah I, well I crashed into his mini that was parked on he lives on just on I can't say the name of the road that would be saying too much but I, I was, think I saw him co- coming out of the door really down strange. there a few that's months right, ago yeah. so that would explain why yeah, he lives there your neighbourhood is sort of like Stella Street on the telly in fact almost weirdly so because Phil Cornwell is around the corner Phil Cornwell is down there it's really bizarre um, uh, no, Stuart Lee said something fantastic when he wrote Jerry Springer the Opera, which was a huge uh, hit in London, and then I think toured around the world, and and, and a lot of people apparently said to him. They hit Christians, apparently. Yes. <laughs> He said people kept saying to him, well, you, you must be making a fortune off this. And he went, not really, no. I mean, you know, people say, well, it must be a life-changing amount of money. And he went, no, actually, it's not. It's a car-changing amount of money. It's <laughs> always a perfect way to sum it up. So suffice to say, if, if this book sells well, I, it won't be a car-changing amount of money. It'll be like a clothes-changing amount of money. I'll, I'll, oh. I'll, I'll go I'll get a like, new Westfield shopping centre in West London and buy some trousers. Get a really expensive suit. But anyway, that's not the point. I didn't do it for the money. I did it because it seemed like a good thing to do and because, you, you know, put Top, a lot of Top, work Top Gear's quite, quite successful at the moment and, you know, it's, it's on the telly a lot and the presenters are kind of too busy doing stuff and writing their own books so it's like, pitched in and wrote this and um, it's got some really useful stigisms in here for instance how to speak all the various languages that stig has been learning whilst driving around the top gear test track such as this one which is spanish ayuda soy seguido por un asno misterioso which is help i'm being followed by a mysterious donkey but useful stuff Mm. bonkers Handy. Handy, yes. <laughs> Top gear on ice with a very embarrassing picture of Richard Hammond in skater's outfit. He didn't actually do that. That's Photoshop, isn't it? There's, there's a lot of Photoshop in it. And yeah. very good use of Photoshop. With the, yeah, it's one of the things why I almost went mad because I, I spent uh, quite a lot of time writing it and then a lot of time with a design agency desperately working through all the design details to get them right. So, yeah. um, hello, that, Martin, if you're listening. And hello, uh, Martin, uh, if you're listening. Uh, he's very well. Great design work in this. Yeah, that wasn't me. That was someone else. That was someone else. I do like the, uh, the James May map of the world. Uh, <laughs> that was my yeah, favourite. I'm very proud of that. that yeah. The thing that I'm most proud about that is that the one person who likes that more than anyone is James May. Because uh, oh. I thought he might be a bit cross about it that, that I, I suggested that he thinks, for example, that, that Brazil Kent is, is called southern... South Mexico. And, um, <laughs> and he's next to West Mexico. He, he yeah. actually, I, I, sorry, it sounds like I'm just blowing my own trumpet in, in an appalling way, but when I showed that to James, he laughed so much that a tea came out of his nose. So. <laughs> Do you know what I like most about the James May map of the world? Wales yep. appears on it three times. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> I think it's four times. And the publisher rang it me up. four and, times? Because they, 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 yeah, they were proofing this. And they, they rang up and they went, oh, by the way, that map of the world is a bit of a mistake. Oh, why what? And I think they thought they were going to go, oh, yeah, well, you've labelled India wrong. I was like, no, everything's labelled wrong. But yeah. no, they went, yeah, Wales is on it four times. And I went, no, that's deliberate. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the, the only thing you can find wrong with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wales was all right. Three times. The worst and thing is, I always had to double check that some of them weren't actually not accidentally correct. Because once you get around sort of like the country, the really fiddly countries, Africa because there's a lot of them. I, I was suddenly thinking, oh, maybe that is the upper vault. I'm pretty then. sure that Surrey isn't on the Black Sea for a start. <laughs> well, you say that, but well, so I'm, I'm not sure. I'm yeah, fairly, fairly confident. Not, not 100 percent sure. But, uh... <laughs> anyway, Surrey <laughs> is so, on the Black Sea. Um, I also, I'm quite fond of the Biggles May flies off, a boy's own adventure involving a Griffin engine Spitfire Mark 24, and some absolutely. Sp- 
spot-on drawings of the Top Gear team. And the whole thing is in a comic book style. They captured it exactly, and they've all got flying jackets. Uh, can I just ask, uh, did Jeremy Clarkson ask the artist to make him look younger in this frame? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't, but I'm sure he's delighted by it. And is Clarkson actually only the same height as Richard? That's first perspective, then. <laughs> I think you could be genuinely proud of this. I, well, I am very proud of it. It's not the best book in the world. It's the kind of book you'd leave by the loop. I did work very, very hard on it. I sound like I'm justifying my homework now, but I, no, I did. I just, I, I worked very, very hard on it, and, and I think it feels like a book about Top Gear. Well, I know no, that I, sounds daft, but if you like Top Gear on the telly because it's, it's just silly and stupid and it makes lots of crass jokes, then basically it's a book that's silly and stupid and is full of crass jokes, and that's the programme in book form, I suppose. And what Gareth says about the Monty Python book comparison is a, is a very good one. In, in the, It's building on a lot of the show's content, so, so you have stuff that's very directly based on stuff in the show and then things that go off on tangent after tangent after tangent. Yeah. And, yeah, if, and if, if you're a fan of the show, you will love this book. And 4,000 points for the indie which lists a whole bunch of things which are not in the book. That's my, my, personally, that's my favourite bit, just because I, I thought it might confuse and irritate people a little bit. Badgers, page 34, 65, 103, 105, 112, 114 and 124. Oh, I just found a picture of Jackie Stewart holding a fish. That's there a you real, go. That's a real photo, that's not a Photoshop. Uh, how much does that book retail for, Rich? Do you know? God, I don't know, Twelve ninety-nine, I think. Twelve ninety-nine. It's, like, it's, it's like six quid on Amazon, so... Um, right. Yeah, uh, where it's actually number three in the Amazon chart well of overall books at the moment Wait, behind Barack Obama. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, I can. Which is really nice. So yes, uh, it is. It's available from all good bookshops and also from Amazon, which is a good bookshop on the internet. I have nothing more to say. I'm embarrassed to be flogging my wares like a cheap prostitute. You can. You can be proud of your wares. Over its first four series, Gareth Jones on Speed has brought you ridiculous parodies of music by U2. The Cure. Our expressions are glum, we miss out on the fun because goths don't drive. The Ramones. Sheena is a race car fan, a rock and roll race car fan. Sheena is a race car fan, on her way to a driving bed. And Mark Bolan. Oh, my mini club mom's good for all the girls and boys. I bought a mini club mom, cause it's good for my boys. But we're not done yet. Coming soon, we take the mickey out of... Where'd you try to find a way if you please Of fueling Nick's Ferraris Pink Floyd <laughs> The Stranglers I ditch my devotion to Robert Dorvos Motor racing heroes anymore. No more motor racing heroes anymore. And all my mates go raving, but I have to admit I'm a bit of a git. For the last 12 months I've been saving. We spawn to go on a much better bash. A trip to Le Mans doesn't last that long and it doesn't use all of me cash. The streets. Wipe your brow, pal. 
and forget how he showers You're going to a race mate, that's great And last for 24 hours Gareth Jones on Speed Season 5 Dafter than a Tato Nano with a V10 turbo diesel Coming to an iPod near you in 2010 Gareth Jones on Speed We like cars, but we like music too I wish I could say I've saved the best show and tell to last, but I don't think I can. It's going to be very hard to match a flying car and a book, probably going to be one of Britain's top-selling books this Christmas, written by a man who's standing in this room, with a review of two and a half cars driven on the Iberian Peninsula. It's going to be hard to match that, really. But this is my show and tell. I have been driving some new Renaults recently. Twice I flew to the Iberian Peninsula. I went to... Two and a half cars? Yeah, two and a half cars. How do you drive half a car? Well, first of all, I went to Portugal to drive the new Renault Laguna Coupe GT, which is quite a handsome coupe. It's not beautiful, right? Yeah, it's not sort of 406. uh, No, it's uh, not 406. I've seen one. I've seen one in the flesh, and I I thought it was a pleasant-looking car, but the pictures flatter it. It's a cuter car in the flesh than it is in the pictures. The pictures make it look sort of lean and elegant. Yes. In the flesh, it looks more like a coupe by Fiat. Yes. Did you see what I did there? Yes. I, I said the coupe by Fiat because that's what it was and called. And I know what you mean. As opposed to a Fiat coupe. Which was a bangle car, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was. It yeah. was a bangle car. I suddenly that's remember that. That's a car designed by Chris Bangle as opposed to one driven by... A member of Susanna Hoffs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, it's yes. taller and narrower yeah. yes, right. than you expect. Yeah. With the slightly bug-eyed headlamps thing going on from the back. And this is the Laguna Coupe's best angle. The back, it really does suggest an Aston Martin, which is mm. no bad thing when you're Renault. And, and it was a great drive. I drove two versions of the car over two days. There's a three and a half litre V6. And then there's this new three and a half litre V6 turbo diesel engine, which is a version of the Renault Nissan Alliance engine, which they get from the Nissan, I nearly said Datsun, Nissan hmm. 350Z or Z, if you like that, which is a tremendous engine. Hmm. And it made a great noise. It made a great noise. I think it was A sharp. I swear, <laughs> blasting down the... That would be a little more than 440 hertz then. Uh, uh, a sharp, I reckon. Maybe. I wish I had my guitar tuner with me. <laughs> Actually, I did have my recorder with me. I should record it. There's a tuner built into the recorder. I could yep. have done that. It made a great noise, but it's slightly detuned from the Nissan 350Z because it mm. doesn't need to be as roughty. It's a GT, mm. not a racer, you know. But the best thing about it is that it's like the old Prelude and the old... Was it the Master 626? It had four-wheel steer. Oh. 626, yeah. 626. It had four-wheel steering. Yeah, this new... Act- Active four-wheel steering. Active four-wheel oh. steering, yeah. Not oh. passive, but active. It has a, a single actuator on the rear with a bar connecting the two rear wheels. And uh, below 40 kilometres per hour, it moves in the opposite direction to the front wheel steer. And above 40, it moves in the same direction. So you get, ooh, this is really good at going around car parks. Mm. And you get, ooh, that was a bit strange, changing lanes on the Portuguese equivalent of an autostrada, whatever they call it. But basically more stable in changing lanes when you suddenly, uh, you know, suddenly need to jink to avoid something. Lane changing. The front wheels turn right. The rear wheels... Also turn right. That's your lane changing. They're going uh, the same way. Right, yeah. That would make Think sense. about the Crabs. extreme case where yeah. you, if, if you're driving really, say you're doing 150 miles an hour, yeah. and you do that jink, and yeah. your rear wheels you suddenly point the other way to more front wheels, than you expect. That's really yeah. bad news. Yeah, yeah that's true. Because I thought those old Honda systems 
at very low speed, like parking, they would move in, in if you like, in parallel because yeah. you want to crab into a... Well, I mean, know. that no, would be a slightly different thing. Tighten the turning circle, I think. Oh, yeah. so, but that's only really useful if you if you kind of really crank the wheels around. You know, if you yeah, crank them around you 90 degrees and you just sort of slide in sideways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's that that is right, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. But it 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 it's slightly it's got yeah. a slightly yeah. shorter well, now wheelbase. My brain hurts, so I'm trying to think, seven yeah. centimetres shorter than the Laguna Saloon, which is a really dull looking car. I don't think that's seven looking. centimetres. Yeah. That's not, not lot, very really. much, is no, it? it isn't. Do you think it was worth it? Three thumbs. Do you think it was worth it? That they, they've had to sort of re engineer the floor pan for, for They seven talked about this as a compromised repackaging to give a benefit from the appearance of the car. That's how they said it. Compromise rear packaging. I'll take their word for it. And I sat in the back and I drove it. It was a great drive. That was the best thing about that car. The diesel engine was an absolute cracker. And it really did handle. Honestly, it took a bit of getting used to. It just behaves differently to anything I've ever driven well, if, before. Well, at speed, the back wheels are moving the same direction as the front wheels. Yeah, only about four degrees. It's going to feel... Like it's ahead of steering a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You turn in, it's like the back end's a already there. A minute amount, but the back end is going to be stepping out further than That's it would right. if the tyres were absolutely. Yeah. That's right. Uh, it's it's fixed. curious. It's unlike anything I've ever experienced. But once I got used to it, it didn't take that long—an hour to get used to it. It was a really great drive. So I like the Laguna. Here's the, the thing, though, right? Renault don't sell cars in America. And haven't sold cars in America for what twenty years? Twenty years. Yeah. Ago, yeah. If ever. They built a car to take them back into America. This is it. You know, it's got a Nissan engine. It's got a V6 engine. It's a big coupe that looks a little like a Honda or, a, if you like, an Acura coupe. I can see it's looks working in the in the American market. Uh, well, here's the problem, a though, lot because more unfortunately, maybe some, a lot of Acura and Lexus and uh, whoever else are already Infinity. there doing it. Yeah, that's right. There's no room so for this. So why? And also, because I think most Americans, if they've even heard of Renault, you say Renault and they say Le Car, which was what they called right. the Renault 5, that's the old right. Renault 5 with the, with the lengthways engine, mm-hmm. which had a terrible reputation in the States. Yeah. And then lastly, they hooked up with AMC and oh, they did the, the Renault 9 and the, the Renault one over the Alliance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Utterly terrible. Terrible. But if ever Renault needed to save their reputation and go back into America, this is the car. This would Well, do I it. don't think they need to because the thing is now they're, they're essentially the same company as Nissan, and Nissan are doing yeah. fairly good business in the US, and Affinity yeah. has kind of established itself there. And Nissan uh, are selling plenty of cars there. And, and I can't remember. It's like there's something like every two or three days they sell as many Sentras or whatever the really basic Nissan is as they're going to sell GTRs there in a year. You know, they sell, which, which is more a, an indication of just how many white bread saloons they sell there. So they just keep on pushing units out. Also, Renault are big in South America. So, you know, they've got yeah. South America, leave yeah. North America to Nissan. That's well, fine. Well, you know, but surely the fact that Nissan are doing well in North America doesn't mean that they wouldn't want to also sell Renaults there. Because it, it's like the old theory that uh, if you're selling washing powder, mm. you know, you may as well just create another brand yes. essentially of the same yes. washing powder so that if somebody isn't buying your first product rather than going to one of your competitors exactly, you know yes. they so may buy your, yeah. your sort of B company okay so I've drove two and a half cars so after my trip to Portugal to drive the Laguna GT Coupe and my point is that this is the car to take them into America where I think it would probably sell but let's face it who's going to buy a big Renault Coupe in Europe I don't think anyone is I really don't think anyone's no. going to buy it no, no. anyone at all it's a no. great it's a great car no one's going to buy it Prove me wrong. Okay, the other one and a half cars I drove, having come back from Portugal, I then flew to Spain to drive the new Megane in sort of 
Well, it's not really two versions. It's one and a half versions because there's the McGann hatch, which is a five-door hatch, mm. and then there's what they call the McGann coupe, which used to be the three-door hatch. But it's more of a coupe. And what they're trying to do is sell the three-door as a car that would sell to people who might buy, say, the Scirocco or the Volvo C30 mm-hmm. or even, mm-hmm. you know, BMW 3 Series. It's a coupe. And it looks ace. Have you seen it? Have you yeah, seen pictures, seen pictures of, it? of it? Yeah. In the flesh, it's a... What's the French word for bitch? Uh, biche. Yeah, I'll do. Yeah. It is, honestly, the little McGann coupe, the three doors, smashing. Oh, it's a little cheeky little thing. I've just realised it might be La Chien Femme. That'll do. But the McGann hatch, it's just a Honda Civic five-door, the previous generation. What I noticed about the McGann three-door is that it has these gopping great sort of what look like rubber strips down the bottom of the doors and the sides. Like kind of like discovery. Oh, right. 4x4, and this isn't. Right. And it just, they yeah. look ugly and unnecessary. They've gone to a lot of detail work on the coupe to differentiate it from the McGann hatch. They've got these sort of neo-brushed aluminium inserts around the air intakes below the bumper at the front end to make mm-hmm. it look different. And it's got really tiny rear... It's this fashion for really tiny rear windows these days. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. in the back, you're just peeking out. But I didn't Speaking of which, me. I don't know whether you've seen... You know the, the Fiat Bravo? Uh-huh, yeah. And there's a guy lives around the corner from me who's clearly bought one. I don't know him. They look great in orange. They look fab in orange. Yeah, this is a red one. But I also, I, I didn't notice on, on this car, because I, I, I'm always distracted by the fact he's had a sort of slightly dubious private plate put on it. And I just think, why? What? <laughs> You're uh, not a fan of the private plate. I'm not a fan of private Oh, plate. I want G42 T.O.P., me. I want to stop being your friend if you do. Um, <laughs> and I've noticed something. This is, I think, a condition of the modern car. Often, the designer, clearly on the clay model, has specified that the glass, usually on the tailgate goes right to the extremities of the car and it sort of matches up with a shut line. I mean, there's some beautiful examples of that where you get these, these incredible sort of bits of what must be an absolute fiddly business to make the car because, because you've got to get it all lined up and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. what happens then is the actual metalwork that has to be there to support the tailgate means that the glass sits on the outside gorgeous and flush and, and sophisticated. But then you look at it and you realise there's a horrible gopping swathe of black... Uh-huh. Holding Fringing. it together, yeah, yeah. So the actual glass area, yeah, when you look yeah. in the rearview mirror, is about the size of the sole of your shoe. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all, but it also looks really ugly. And if you have a look, the next time you're following uh, a new shape Fiat Bravo, just yeah. have a look and look how much of the what is superficially glass area on the outside is actually just blacked in to cover metalwork and gubbins underneath. It's really ugly. Wasn't the Cinquecento one of the, the previous... To the Seicento, that one, yeah. was one of the first cars to do that in recent times, to give the appearance of a much bigger rear window than it actually has. Uh, yeah, but that was kind of okay, because what it did was it just dipped down, and what they'd done is they put the windscreen wiper within it, and it looked yeah. quite elegant. And yeah. I, thought, I always thought they should have just taken it right down, made the whole back end look like glass, and then put the number plate within it. Yeah. I yeah, thought yeah, it yeah, really yeah. groovy, yeah. really Italian, yeah. really stylish, and you could have sort of backlit it as well. Yeah, but obviously yeah. that car would cost about... 47 p <laughs> they could never do that but it's a terrible thing and there's a lot of cars do it an awful lot of cars I mean look at Range Rover Sport the windscreen of a Range Rover Sport because the dashboard is higher than the base of the windscreen so what actually is glass going down to the where the wipers sit but then there's about 6 inches of black and once you've noticed it you can't stop noticing it it's just really ugly you see this is where we need to take a, a leaf out of a Star Trek book and use transparent aluminium 
Oh, that's right. As invented <laughs> by um, a guy who worked in a factory in San Francisco in, uh, in well, 19, sorry, well, whatever I've, it was. I've, yeah. I've never watched an episode of Star Trek in my life. Right? Did, this did, did, this, just this was out. one of the movies. Yeah. Okay. Right. Well, uh, well the, you are the, the Star Trek yeah, expert, so it, you should it, it, They come back in time from the 23rd century to save right. a pair of humpback whales. It's in the movie The Voyage Home. And, of course, they have to build something to retain these whales in to fit it inside the Klingon bird of prey that they've borrowed to take it back to the 23rd century. Uh-huh. So Scotty sits on a computer and invents, well, he brings back the molecular pattern for transparent aluminium from the 23rd century. And so this guy in the so 20th just, century. Just, I just, just, just want to recap yeah. there is no such thing as transparent aluminium. Not oh, yet. Well, not you well. Oh, uh, <laughs> actually, oh man. Because I, no, the, the, the you could have an entirely transparent Land Rover. Nice. No, nice. I, yeah. I was reading about how a defence research laboratory are developing, I don't think it's exactly transparent aluminium but it's particularly tough transparent material for armoured glass in tanks and armoured glass okay. and that kind of thing but, but the bigger question you've never seen a single episode of Star Trek how Honestly, is that possible over, I just, I just that, no, that, I don't know that, I that just, is not possible that I just, just I don't I, 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 I don't like I'm, I'm uh, dumbfounded I'm Richard You've come to the wrong house. I know, I know. I I was going to say I don't like space, but I do like space. I actually am fascinated by space. Well, that's the thing, you know. You know, you're a bit of a geek. Well, you two are my go-to guys for space stuff. I don't have a question about space. I just ring up Gareth and go, Gareth, how does space work? (laughs) And and, and, and he tells me in words of one syllable because I'm an idiot. But I've never seen. I promise you, I've never. I've seen bits of. I know the characters. I know. I know Mr. Spock, not Doctor Spock. He's a child psychologist. I know that, and I know. I know Captain Kirk, the Shat, and I know. And I, I remember when we did that uh, London Grand Prix thing, and we were in the S Max, and Gareth was playing me William Shatner's album, which actually showed up be quite upsetting in its own right. <laughs> Lots of songs about his dead son or something. It was really dead weird. Wife. I mean, a dead wife. <laughs> if you would never life. ever watch TV, you know, it'd be understandable. You work in TV. It's a- I know, but I, don't, I haven't watched all TV. There's lots of TV I've never <laughs> seen. I've never seen an episode of Sex and the City. You cannot sort of be. Have a passing familiarity with TV. That's the thing, but without... I know, I know, because it's so much in popular culture. I know a lot about and Star Trek. They feel like you can include. I know a lot about space, but I've never been there. Of the Renault Megane Coupe. <laughs> Do you remember when I was talking about a new car? God, that was last year. I had yeah, my conversation. Yeah, can I just say two things about the Renault Megane hey, look, just, Coupe? Is it any good? Because I was wondering to ask you um, this. Is it any good? Uh, yes, the ride on the uh, the hatch is really nice. Yeah. The ride on the coupe. It's a bit too stiff, I think. The coupe looks great, drives all right, nice electric steering. The engine isn't what it should be. It should be a lot better than it is, that engine, for 180 brake horsepower, or 200, whatever it is. It didn't certainly didn't flipping feel like it. But the hatch... It's really quite a nice drive, apart from the rubbish gearbox, which was horrid. But it was a really nice drive, and, it, and the car is bland, but it's not as bland as you think it's going to be. It's, it's reasonably fresh. Okay, let's so, work it up the top three. That or a Golf? I haven't driven the new Golf, but in terms of styling, I would choose the Megane Coupe over a Golf three-door. That or a Focus? I'd take a Focus. Mm. But there is no Focus that's as coupe looking as that I think they're going to sell a lot of the coupes the old Megane coupe did you know the, the, did really well it was a great car yeah, yeah, and well. you wait until there's a new Megane Renault Sport version ha, that's going to be I just remembered something that I forgot to mention before but yeah. I have also driven a Renault Megane recently 
Yeah, which one? Uh, you remember I was blathering on the uh, previous show about how I'd been to France and I'd driven some cars up a mountain and I couldn't say what they were. Oh, yeah, yeah. Evo yeah. Car of the Year, but the Evo Car of the Year issue is out now. Have you driven an R26? R26R. Oh. Now, here's what happened. Turned up at the uh, place. I, I went down to near Marseille, I think. And next morning we got up and there's a car park full of beautiful supercars and things. And then there's a Megane. And I got down a bit late, and I went, okay, right, well, so what am I driving? So I went, oh, McGann's free. And I thought, oh, well, thanks very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much indeed. Yeah, yeah. And I got in. Now, of course, uh, first of all, I don't know if you've seen this McGann R26R. Go and look it up if you haven't, because it looks preposterous. In fact, the press pictures are worse than the car I actually drove, because the press pictures, I think a lot of them have got red, red wheels. wheels. Unforgivable. Yeah, Absolutely yeah. unforgivable. Yeah, yeah. Just no need, yeah. really. Unless it's a rally car, and even then, yeah. no need. Yeah. It's got a carbon fibre bonnet. Yeah. Mm. Mm, not really anything particularly yeah. in the McGann because it sits sort of within you know yeah. it, it, it's, it's a just, small it's piece awful, yeah, awful. yeah stickers all over it yeah. right it's got plexiglass back side windows and a plexiglass rear window I didn't know that now what happens is if you've got a group of blokes and you're all going oh it's got plexiglass it has it everyone walks up and pokes it so you end up with yeah. smudges all <laughs> over your windows <laughs> and there's no back wiper so you can't get rid of the ones on the back it's got a, uh, a proper cage. racing. Yeah, it's got yeah. a red roll cage in yeah. the back with no back seats. I mean, come on, that's just. Well, they've got a bit of a history of doing oh, this. Do you remember the old Renault Five Turbo? Well, that's that's five. The engine was in the car. middle. Yeah, but it was a bonkers so, car. You get in. Mm-hmm. It's got a very, very buckety bucket seat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like Ooh, sitting pinch. in a bucket. Yeah, and a full harness. Yeah, so. Uh, now, I've driven enough cars with harnesses that I've remembered not to make the schoolboy error of putting the harness on and realising you left the door open. Yeah, you, you can't okay. reach it. So <laughs> I avoided that one. Put the <laughs> harness on. My clackers are being forced back into my body cavity by the strap that comes up through your, you know, knackerage area. That's a French term, clackers, yeah. isn't it? Well, <laughs> oh, I think it's le clacquer. Uh, they've got to trundle through a town and through some sort of uh, urban areas, and it's got no radio. So, you know, there's nothing to do. I was just humming to myself, very noisy as well, because you take the back seats and the boot trimming out of a car, yep. a normal hatchback with a monocoque, and you realise... Empty vessels make the most noise. Yeah, exactly. Well, they, they well, may I'm have speaking now, I think I've proved so. <laughs> so, I was just thinking, well, this is a silly car. This is a very silly car, and, and, and uh, just uh, embarrassingly silly as well. But we got onto the foothills... Not- of the mountain. Now I'm following, and I know this sounds catastrophically twerpish that I'm saying this now, but I was following a Lamborghini Gallardo, Porsche 911 GT2, and an Aston Martin V8 Vantage, and the road was clear, and the cars were being driven in front of me by some proper men, Helmsmiths, you know, the magazine road testers, and they all know how to drive, and I've ridden with all of them. They have that cool, calm confidence like racing drivers do, you know, they never yeah. show off, they're just good drivers, yeah. and they can properly step up the pace so they're off and I thought okay I'll give this thing a go and we're going up and I was thinking okay well they're disappearing on the straights they get to the corners and I'm keeping up and I'm turning in and I was, I was like it shouldn't be this easy this car is preposterous it has oh, yeah, 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 yeah. almost infinite grip I swear if you yeah. can get that car to understeer then you're doing you, well, well you're going to crash that's yeah, it you're going to crash yeah. because you're doing like 150 and yeah. going, I kept up with them all the way and I got to the top of the mountain and I said oh, they all got that Lamborghinis ticking and going bing 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 and, bang, and turn it off and, and I said were you not, were you not trying and they went well, yeah, you were giving it so much. But, but I was keeping up with you in a Renault Megane. And you I'm not any drive. great driver, but it's, it's just, I mean, honestly, mm, everything about it. The engine drive. pulls like crazy. Okay. Now, here's an interesting thing as well. This is, the chassis is sublime. I have never driven a front-wheel drive car with that much grip. But mm. in some ways, you know, a preposterous amount of grip can be sometimes a little bit boring, maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah, almost yeah. too much. Yeah. But somehow this car is still fun. And 
I, I, I stopped trying to deconstruct it about what was good about it because it was just basically sort of everything. You know, it's like trying to pick apart Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones. Why is that a great song? It's just great. Mm. Just don't just dissect it, together. just enjoy it. it. You're not alone yeah. in saying this. Unbelievably Men, many of the people I was with on this Renault trip to drive these cars were saying that they'd been driving the R26R as well and that it was just the greatest thing they'd driven in recent times. And they were all going, when are we going to have the new Renault Megane Coupe R20R version? And I tell you what, I look forward to that one. But for the time being, I've got to do with those. Guys, we're out of time. Richard, say goodbye. Goodbye. Zog, say the same goodbye. The same goodbye. And I'm going to say a slightly different goodbye. A slightly different goodbye. Goodbye. Contact the show on speed at garethjones.tv. Get lyrics, pictures and more information from www.garethjones.tv or subscribe for free at the iTunes store. Gareth Jones on Speed is made by Whizbang. Bang.